Welcome to a special edition series of the Turn of the Tide podcast. My name is Lenon Kat, and I'll be covering science policy as an ecologist transplanted on the Hill. This is part one of my series, and it is generously funded by the GPS Biomed Public Policy Program at UC Irvine, where I'm currently getting my PhD. I'll be talking about my fellowship with the University Corporation of Atmospheric Research, UCAR, which manages the National Center of Atmospheric Research, NCAR, on behalf of the National Science Foundation, NSF. I'm going to cover what I'm doing with the fellowship and then five lessons I've learned in my first month in Washington, D.C., where I'm currently recording. Um, And this will be part one of a three-part series. So some quick background on UCAR and NCAR. Um, National Center for Atmospheric Research is run by a consortium of over 100 universities across the nation. Um, And the reason why it's set up like that is so... NCAR's resources are fairly available to all these membership universities, which UC Irvine is a membership university. NCAR manages a lot of the community-based models that researchers in earth system science and ecology rely on. So I'm working with UCAR, University Corporation for Atmospheric Research, which does a lot of the management of NCAR. I'm part of the inaugural Next Generation Fellows Program. So... UCAR started a program to get graduate students to come out and work at UCAR's campus in Boulder, Colorado, and also their Washington, D.C. office. So there are three tracks. Earth system science, so a graduate student researching purely in science at the NCAR labs. Diversity and inclusion, so working with UCAR out in Boulder, Colorado to increase diversity in the geosciences. Um, and the public policy track, which is what I'm doing in Washington, D.C. So I've been out here for one month now. Um, I started off taking a lot of informational interviews and meetings with public affairs offices of scientific societies like AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, AGU, which is the American Geophysical Union, ESA, which is Ecological Society of America, I've also been meeting with a lot of staffers on the Hill, especially on the science committees in both the House and the Senate. My two primary priorities as part of this fellowship is increasing legislation that increases underrepresented groups in STEM, as well as developing policy recommendations on airborne diseases that may impact agriculture and human health. So my research which you can listen to in one of our previous episodes, is on airborne diseases caused by fungi. And this causes tens of billions of dollars in agricultural damage annually, just in the U.S. alone. Um, And it causes a lot of human health impacts. So days lost at work, um, having to take expensive medications, loss of quality of life. And these are all great angles to sell the geosciences on the hill because agriculture and human health are both popular on both sides of the aisle. I'm planning to talk about the nexus of agriculture, human health, airborne disease, and atmospheric research at an exhibit held by the Earth and Space Science Congressional Caucus at the end of June. So I'll be talking more about my policy recommendations and how this connects with my research on part two of this series. 
But for this first part, I'm just going to focus on five lessons I've learned my first month of the fellowship. And this is targeted towards grad students who are getting their PhDs in the sciences. And knowing that you're not going to go into academia, you may be questioning why why you're still in your PhD program, if it's going to be useful in a job. Um, So I'm going to cover five lessons that I've learned that might give you a little bit of hope. So the first one is the skills that I've picked up from my dissertation work in ecology are actually really translatable to public policy. Um, So I know that's been extremely validating, not just for me, but some of my colleagues in the ecology department. Um, I feel like the skills I've gained during graduate school are actually useful in the real world. Um, We may be wondering if we're, quote unquote, wasting five or more years getting our PhDs. Um, But I do feel like the skills I've gained in the last four years have been really good preparation for public policy. Um, Coping with imposter syndrome is really great preparation for being unfazed by the fake it till you make it attitude that's kind of required as you transition into public policy um, or jumping into any work that's completely different from what you're doing in your PhD. Um, Dealing with imposter syndrome in graduate school is very similar to moving laterally into a different type of work, which for a lot of us getting our PhDs and moving into different jobs outside of academia is something we'll have to deal with. I also feel like several career prep programs at my university, UC Irvine, really paid off. So I took an acting class called Activate to Captivate, run by Brie McHorder at UC Irvine, which takes principles of acting and applies them to public speaking for scientists. So it's not only about distilling your message into something that's easy to understand, but how you deliver it that makes it exciting and engaging for audiences. And this has totally paid off as I interact with people from all different spheres. As for skills directly related to your dissertation, I feel like the self-learning ability is huge when it comes to switching to these types of jobs. Looking for information in the literature on your dissertation topic is exactly the same as combing through legislation and seeing what's already been done and what what is out there and can be repurposed for something else, which I feel like is a daily or weekly used skill in graduate school. Being able to identify gaps in research and what needs to be covered is also very translatable to public policy. Um, I feel like looking at what people are looking for, and by people I mean members of Congress, and then what can be done with what's out there is very, very similar. Um, So I understand now why there's a lot of science policy fellowships out there because the skills you get in your PhD are definitely really, really useful in the public policy realm. That leads to one of my second lessons. So there's a spectrum of science policy jobs for ecologists in D.C. And what I mean is um, there's a huge spectrum from very data and research-based positions all the way to those positions where you are primarily working with people and trying to win influence and get things done. So that was also very encouraging for me, too, because for many of us interested in science policy, we may not be sure at what level we're comfortable engaging in. So this spectrum from very data and research-based all the way to very people-based is what I'll call it. Um, There's a lot um, in between. So at the data and research side, 
Um, you could work for Congressional Research Services, CRS. And essentially what they do is research everything related to a topic that Congress may be working on. So they compile reports that are completely neutral on a topic. They do hire ecologists. So this is very objective. Um, you don't interact with people or try to influence them that much, but it is very related to science communication. You'll obviously want these reports to be very accessible to someone who isn't familiar with the material if you want those reports to be useful. The executive branch version of CRS is STIPI, so Science and Technology Policy Institute. They are part of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP, and they also help with the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, PCAS. So they also do um, rigorous and objective analysis for formulation of national policies um, just through the executive branch. So their activity may be related to who is running the administration. Now, closer to the interacting with people side are policy analysts, but I would say they're still relatively focused on the data and research. Um, so lots of different organizations will have policy analysts. Um, so if you are hoping to stay in that science background, you'd want to be a policy analyst for an organization that offers that. So APHA, NRDC, um, organizations like that. Further along on the spectrum and more related to people are those that work in public affairs offices. As a scientist, you'll want to probably pull from that background. So working in public affairs for a scientific society, like the ones I've mentioned before, AAAS, AGU, ESA, et cetera, um, or organizations like universities, which have a lot of research going on. So Scripps, Woods Hole, in addition to um, any university public affairs office, will still work on communicating science to policymakers. And finally, positions that work a lot on influencing people and trying to push ideas are science staffers for members of Congress. Um, so basically, you'll be a scientist wearing the public policy hat completely. To get the ideas and legislation you want through, you'll have to use your influence and abilities to market legislation to both sides of the aisle. How do you make something appealing to both Republicans and Democrats? The third lesson I learned is everything is so much easier once you're physically present. So before I received the fellowship with UCAR, I had applied to at least six introductory level science policy opportunities. So from workshops on how to learn how the Hill works, to Capitol Hill visits through scientific societies, um, even the Mir Zion Fellowship, which is a three-month internship with the National Academies of Science. So I didn't get any of them, um, and I was really, really bummed and didn't even know how I could consider a career in science policy if I wasn't even able to get these like introductory opportunities. Um, so I felt really discouraged and even more so since before I had applied to all of these, I was involved in a lot of outreach and advocacy um, through the American Association of University Women, AAUW, um, as well as on campus at UC Irvine. But once I got this fellowship, I realized like during my first week in DC, it's just so easy to meet people in the science policy community. So if you just cold call them or cold email them, meet them at happy hours where a lot of people will come. Um, so engaging scientists in policy has a happy hour every month. The AAAS fellows meet every week, and it was really, really easy just to 
get a lot of information about those fellowships and about the science policy community as a whole. And it wasn't limited to these like surface level information exchanges. Like I was able to find a lot of opportunities and develop my niche even just in the first couple of weeks. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I will be presenting my policy recommendations um, and showing what UCAR does and how that's important to members of Congress at an event where typically at least 200 members and their staffers come and visit from 60 different offices. So it, I just felt like everything was so much easier to achieve once I was physically present in D.C. The fourth lesson I learned is that non-scientists would love more scientists to share their work and become more involved in policy, whether that's something like attending a hearing and giving your expertise, um, just reaching out and telling a member of Congress what you're researching. It doesn't have to be super involved. Um, working at UCAR, there's an interesting dynamic between UCAR and NCAR, where NCAR is primarily scientists who um, don't have the extra responsibilities of researchers in academia, so they can focus purely on their science. Whereas those working in UCAR are more interested in how this is applied to policy or education. Um, so it's been really interesting seeing that dynamic and seeing how valuable communication is for scientists. Um, I spoke with a couple of people who are involved with picking scientists for these science policy fellowships. And when I asked them, you know, what distinguishes that top group of people you pick because there's so many qualified candidates and they can only pick a handful. And it really is communication, which surprised me because I thought that would be very common, but it's not. Um, so definitely learn how to communicate your science in a way that connects with the background and the experiences of who you're talking with which is really unintuitive to scientists who are used to speaking from the data. Um, it's a hard habit to change. So it's, it's like speaking another language where you need to know when you have to go from that traditional science approach um, to connecting with exactly who you're speaking to. So there's a lot more small talk and exchanging of information between people before you actually get to the meat of your message. And then finally, um, the scientists in the science policy community are fantastic. The last thing I've learned is meeting everyone who's in science policy really makes me feel like I've picked the right field to be in because everyone is really interesting. They all think like scientists, but they're very fun to talk to. Everyone is really happy to help. Um, everyone's willing to put me in touch with people they know that's important to building my network. Um, even though it comes at the cost of their time. So I was really, really excited about that. I think a good way of knowing whether you're a good fit for a field is how you feel around the people that are in that field. Um, and I've been very happy to find that scientists working in science policy are all really great, um, really engaging and relatable. So I encourage you, even if you aren't interested in science policy, but another non-traditional path after getting your PhD is just to try to hang out with people who are doing the job you're looking to do, because that in itself can tell you a lot. So those five lessons about sum it up for me for my one-month check-in during my internship, but I will be 
talking more about my research and policy recommendations in part two of this series, as well as what it's like to speak with members of Congress and their staffers on both sides of the aisle. So thank you for tuning in to this special edition series on science policy, um, an ecologist transplanted on the Hill. You'll hear me again for part two at the end of June.